Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning, and, uh, to be in the body of Christ and in this gathering to celebrate the goodness of God's grace, especially at this time of year. Every Sunday we call our worship service a celebration. That's what it is. Or that's what it should have been. <laughs> Hopefully that's what it is. There's a, just one thing I want to mention before I get started here. And uh, you will notice that in your bulletin there's a little extra bit. Looks like this. This is not for you. We're giving it to you to give to someone else as an invitation. And we have, uh, there's one of these in every bulletin, and there are several spares. So if you'd like to take three or four more, they're back on the table, Greta. Yes, so back on the big white box back there, you can find a bunch more of these. Obviously, this is happening on Tuesday. So if there's any left back there, we've wasted some money on printing. So please uh, take as many as you want. Uh, I think we made like a hundred of them. So anyway, there you go. I don't know if you've noticed this. I've noticed something about celebrations. Usually a celebration begins because something good happens. Uh, so for example, what are some things you celebrate as just in the course of life? You celebrate uh, your birthday, am I right? Now, some of you are going, hmm. I'm, I'm like that too, I don't really celebrate my own birthday, but other people celebrate your birthday, usually, even if you don't. Uh, birthday is something we celebrate. Why? Because we consider it a good thing that you were born. Except, I've noticed something that happens about celebrations. What about holidays? In the United States, we have a holiday called Thanksgiving. It is supposed to be Thanksgiving. Here's something I've noticed. We have a holiday in the US uh, called Independence Day. You know, most of the time we don't even call it Independence Day. We call it the 4th of July. It's not a big deal what we call it. There's something I'm observing here about holidays. We end up celebrating our celebration. Have you noticed this? In other words, what do we do on Christmas? The holiday is, of course, the commemoration of the birth of the Son of God. It's the celebration of the most important event in all of human history, the incarnation of God as a human being. There's nothing more momentous that has ever occurred. Yet I think most of us, even we Christians, 
Mostly we celebrate Christmas, not the birth of Christ. We celebrate a holiday. Well, that's worth celebrating. That is a good thing. We get a day off of work. We all spend all our money, and it creates a giant boom in the economy, which is good for everyone, and we have a great time. We get together with our families. Sometimes that's not such a great time. Sometimes it is. In my family, it's a great time. Some families, eh. We celebrate. We have a party. We open gifts. I realize that not in all nations are the gifts opened on Christmas Day, but that's how we do it where I'm from. Christmas morning. There's a giant pile of stuff. There's huge, there's a huge feast. A big celebration, but here's something about celebrations. They end up being about the celebration. And not so much about the thing celebrated. We come in this church every Sunday and we call what we do here a celebration of the grace of God in Christ. Now here's something else that can happen to celebrations. When we do remember what they're about, they get a little bit less celebratory if you know what I mean. So when we come in here, we go to church, we sing. Singing is a celebratory thing. How do we sing? You know how we should sing if what we believe is true is true. You know how we should sing? We should sing the way football fans sing. Well, not drunken, but, you know, otherwise. It's a ridiculous celebration, football singing. I mean, what a silly thing to celebrate a football team, honestly. Even that, when we celebrate, what we really celebrate is the opportunity to celebrate something. But what we're doing here is a celebration of the mom most momentous events ever. Why do you celebrate Christmas? Well, I want to give you a list of reasons in case you need them. You ready? Here we go. The first one, the first reason is because of the birth of Jesus, God knows who we are. Now, you might think that's a strange thing to say. I mean, did God not know who we were before the birth of Jesus? The answer is, well, yes, of course he did, and uh, not like he did after. Not that there's anything or ever was anything lacking in the perfect knowledge of God. It is absolutely perfect. But here's what God 
has done in the birth of Christ, in the incarnation of the eternal Son of God, it's just stunning that that could happen. What he did was know us. Firsthand. He knew us, he knows us. Because of the birth, he knows us firsthand. Sorry, I gotta try to keep everything from blowing away. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 17. I'm going to start with verse 16. For surely it is not the angels that he, that is referring to the Son of God, that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or satisfaction for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We sometimes think because Jesus could not sin, that resisting sin was no trouble. I would suggest to you that is not correct. Because Jesus kept on resisting sin long beyond the point where any one of us would have quit and did quit. We have never resisted sin to the point that Jesus has resisted sin. The book of Hebrews says this quite explicitly. For you have not struggled against sin to the point of shedding blood, but he has. Jesus' resistance of temptation was harder than yours, not because he was not way more powerful than you, obviously he was, but because he went through it all the way through it. And we quit in order to end the suffering of resisting sin. How far did he go? Well, all the way to the cross. In in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Almighty God has shared with us our entire difficult experience in this world. He knows, he knows, 
He knows. There is nothing you have been through that he is incapable of understanding. He knows. Because he's one of us now. You've had hard times. You've lost people. He had hard times. He lost people. I remember that scene. The shortest verse in the New Testament in the whole scripture. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet he mourned the death of Lazarus. Jesus wept. I remember that scene where he's looking across at the city of Jerusalem and he weeps for the sinfulness of his people. Have you had the experience of someone you love, someone you care for deeply making horrible errors that cost them and others deeply. Have you had that experience? Jesus knows that experience. Jesus has that experience relative to every one of us. There is not a more sympathetic person possible And he is not experiencing the sympathy from the height of the throne of God in heaven. He was here. He showed up. He became one of us. (laughs) I think about that birth. This is not the birth of a king, this is not the birth of a person. This is not the situation of a human being most of the time. Born outdoors, out in the shed, the only available crib was a box that animals eat out of. We romanticize all these things because we love to celebrate the celebration. There was nothing good about it. It was a horrible situation in which to place a newborn baby. That's where he started, and he went down from there. There is no depth you have been to that he hasn't been to as well. He knows us. He knows who you are. And not from some remote position, but because he has shared our experience right down to our separation from Almighty God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We live in that separation for so long. We don't experience the pain of it. But he did. For us. To reclaim us. 
to bring us back from that forsaken place. It's only in the incarnation that God shares the whole human experience, including alienation from God. We cannot get our minds around that. Without the baby Jesus, God remains distant and unsympathetic and angry. Without the baby Jesus, we remain alone, dying. In the incarnation, God shares and understands the entire human condition by his own first-hand experience. The birth of Christ changed everything. The second reason, because of the birth of Christ, now we know who God is. Because he showed up in person. It's only in the incarnation that humanity bears the image of God the way God intended it from the beginning. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness in Jesus, the boy, the man, that baby. That image is perfectly born. So that Jesus could say to his apostles, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And the book of Hebrews says he is the exact representation of his being. And the book of Colossians says not he's made in the image of God like us, but he is the image of God. In the person of Jesus, the man Jesus, we know God. In fact, he said, if you don't know God by knowing me, you don't know God. There is no other way to know God except in the revelation that is in the person, Jesus the man who is the eternal son of God made flesh, born one of us. Because Jesus was born, we can see and know God's true intention in the creation of us. What an incredible thing it is to notice that the ever-living, eternal, almighty God, creator of all things, can be fully presented in one of us. You know when you look at another person, you are looking at something that is a way bigger deal than you realize. Also made in the image of God, me and you. And that image 
is being restored by the work of Christ on the cross in you and me. And one day, we will experience the same resurrection that he experienced, and we too, the scripture says, will be like him. For we'll see him as he is. We too will be what God intended when he made Adam fully bearing the image of God. You have no idea what a big deal you are. And of course, we see God in the face of Christ. We see what kind of God our God is in the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. Martin Luther made this observation. It came to be called the the theology of the cross. He made this observation that all of us, all of us, all of us, no exceptions, are not looking for God in the one place he can be found. Because that is not a place where God belongs. The one place where God can be found that none of us look is the cross. Where God dies. Where God exhibits humility. Where God sets himself below us in order to lift us. None of us would think of that. But that's who God is. That's what kind of God he is. blows your mind. And so it's only because of Christmas that we know who God is. If there was never any Christmas, none of us would have any idea of God. Well, we'd come up with all kinds of crazy ideas about God and they'd all be wrong. We would not know the God who is God. We would know the God we made because we're incapable of not having a God. Even atheists have a God. It's called the empty set. And they believe in it and they worship it. You can't help if human beings, we worship something. And we would never know the God who is God if not for Jesus. When he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he was not kidding around. He wasn't being hyperbolic. He wasn't exaggerating for effect. He was telling us the truth. Here's another reason to celebrate. And that is because of the incarnation, grace and truth can be united. This is what the book of John says about Jesus the man. He was full of grace and truth. 
Now, we know how to be gracious or truthful, but we have a hard time being gracious and truthful. But in Christ, these two things come together. Justice is done, and mercy is given. Wait, how do you do that? Normally, if you give mercy, you're, you have to ignore justice. And if you give justice, then you don't give mercy. How does both justice and mercy, grace and truth, come together only in the human body of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the only way. The only way where the Son of God made man dies <laughs> fulfilling justice and providing mercy as our head our representative as the, the one of the new Adam, of the new family, the Abba family of God. That new family, Jesus is the Adam of that family, and he makes it by paying the penalty, by serving justice for me and for you. By absorbing in himself hell, You realize that whatever Jesus experienced in that uh, period of hours in the grave, whatever that experience of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, whatever that was, it was the equivalent of eternal hell for every one of us who believe in him. You cannot imagine. You cannot imagine. It was the punishment for my sins. What is the punishment for my sins? Hell forever. Eternal separation from God and Jesus absorbed that. And in, in serving justice, he provides mercy. The only possible way for grace and truth to come together is in the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, in Islam, they will tell you that God is just and forgiving. But how? How? You know, if you commit a crime, if you break into my house and steal from me and they catch you and the judge forgives you, that is not justice. You can't be just and forgiving except by the cross. Of Christ and that is made possible only by the birth of Christ 
If he's not one of us, he cannot die for us. Grace and truth come together in him. The other thing I want to mention is there's no sense talking about a resurrection if there's no incarnation of Jesus. His birth holds the promise of the resurrection. If he's not born, he can't die. And if he can't die, he can't be raised. And neither can you. Our hope of the future is grounded in the incarnation of the Son of God. Do you see why I say this is the most momentous thing that has ever occurred in the history of humanity? It's only in the incarnation that we can talk about a resurrection because a resurrection is a resurrection of a man in a body, in his own body. This is the argument of the whole 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. The whole thing is aimed at this. Some people say there's no resurrection. Some people say there's no resurrection. And Paul says, well, I'm telling you, if there's no resurrection, then this whole discussion is a waste of time and we should all go back to whatever we did before we thought about Jesus. And if there's no resurrection, none of us should be here today. And he's not talking about just the resurrection of Jesus because he says, if there's no resurrection, then Jesus wasn't raised, and neither will you be. But I'm telling you, it is the word of God that he was, and you will be. And we know you will be because he was. And you can't even begin to have a conversation about a resurrection from the dead if the Son of God, the eternal second person of the triune God, isn't born. The risen Savior is not an angel. He's a man. He's not a spirit. He's flesh and blood. You could shake his hand. You could hug him. You could punch him. I wouldn't recommend that. He could punch you, and it would hurt. He's a man. He is raised in the body that died. That body came back to life. That's the point. He's not an angel. He's not a spirit. He's not some kind of life force or the way most liberal Christianity frames it today, the resurrection is just a compelling idea. Well, if it's just a compelling idea that isn't true, how does it compel anything? No, the resurrection is a fact of history. The body of Jesus Christ died and it was put in the ground and then a couple of days later it came back to life. It was him physical him, he showed, said, hey, just put your finger in there, it's proof. 
He ate. (laughs) The risen Savior is a man, the same man whose mother laid him in a feed box when he was born. The same man who went missing when he was 12 because he said, I had to be in my father's business, in my father's house. Is the same man who begged his friends to pray with him the night before he died. But then they all deserted him. It's the incarnate Christ, not some ghost who is now seated at the right hand of God, interceding for me. So that every time I am the slightest bit off from perfect righteousness, Wait, that's all the time. Anytime I am the slightest bit off from perfect righteousness, I am clothed in his perfect righteousness, and he is there to say to God the Father, the judge of all judges, that is on the cross. That is in the grave. When I died, Doug died with me and is united in me and so will be raised with me. I will not lose a single one of those you've given to me. Interceding. But not if there's no baby Jesus. None of that can be if he's not born. You see why I call it the most important thing that ever happened? Because Jesus was born. He's the firstborn of the resurrection. Without the baby Jesus, Christ is not raised from the dead. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Without the baby... There's no hope of eternal life, no future. The incarnation of the eternal Son of God changed everything. Everything. So I want to ask you this question, what if these things are true? I want to remind you that in this season of the year, of course, we're not limited to this season of the year to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. In fact, I hope every time we come in here, every Sunday, and maybe during the week from time to time, all of us are celebrating the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It is the best thing that ever happened to you. Nothing ever could even come close. It's the best thing. It's the good news. It is fantastic. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became flesh for us, and in so doing, he exposes us to God and God to us. And in his death, he satisfies justice and provides mercy so that we are reconciled to the living God in him. And he, being raised from the dead, promises to raise us from the dead all in his humanity. You realize there's one of us, a human being, seated at the right hand of God Almighty 
now. So what if these things are true? If this is true, God's love is not just a story we say to each other. It's not just a, some kind of meme to post on Facebook. It's real. Real, real. God's love is not joking around. God's love is not some kind of warm, fuzzy sentimentality. God's love showed up and laid down in hay in the cold. God's love grew up with brothers who could not possibly understand him, grew up with parents who got things wrong and he knew better, but he submitted himself to them. Uh, I didn't submit myself to my parents. But he did because he lived in perfect righteousness from the moment he was born to the moment he died. God's love is not messing around. God's love is not just coming and giving you a hug because you deserve it. God's love is dying because you don't deserve it. And God's love is reaching down as far as far can be for me. If the story we tell at Christmas is true, and not just a story we tell, If the story we tell at Christmas is true, I can trust God. <laughs> I can trust God. If he showed up, if he understands, if he is what the scripture says he is, the one who doesn't love us from a distance, but God himself messed up in our messed up world, then I can trust that guy. And I can rely on his promise of provision. I can rely on the wisdom of his promise of provision. I can know that Almighty God actually does love me, and so he is always caring for me perfectly, even when it seems otherwise. I can trust this one. then if these things are true, my celebration, might change. <laughs> it might not be so, I don't know, cheerful? I'm, I'm trying to find the right word. Certainly should be happy. It sure, certainly should be a celebration. It certainly should be full of the deepest kind of joy I can fathom. Because this is the best news ever, but this news is so good, it might flatten me. It might make me weep. It might make me crushed. 
That's a different kind of celebration, I think. It's not that it's not a celebration. It's not that we are not happy beyond imagination, but we are also seeing the greatness, the magnitude, the holiness, the righteousness of the living God in these things. Things we are not qualified to look at can be seen in the face of the baby Jesus. So our celebration is a worship. (laughs) And the scripture says this is worship. I throw myself on him. I throw myself on him. I have nowhere else to go. I run to him. I embrace him. I look to him. I see his wisdom as the wisdom. I try to discern it. I try to follow it. I try to obey it for the love of Christ. Not because there's a bunch of religious rules I have to follow. Who cares about that? When Jesus came, it wasn't to deliver another religion to the world. We have enough of those. It was to deliver God himself to us. And so I respond to this according to the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 by the mercies of God I present myself a living sacrifice I say I am yours I am yours I am yours I can go nowhere else you have the words of eternal life you have loved me that's a celebration of worship not a celebration of celebration. Now, (laughs) just so you know, I do not want you to go and cancel all your Christmas parties. Because that would turn this magnificent thing into a religious practice, would it not? Enjoy the season and shine with the love of God at every one of those Christmas parties. Look for the chance to say, why are we here? (laughs) Why are we having this party? You know, it's thousands of years later and the world can't get over it. Even though they try, Don't say Merry Christmas, say Happy Holidays. All right, whatever you want to hear. But I know what's going on here. The most magnificent event in the history of the world took place when the Son of God was born a man. Everything good that is or ever has been flows from that. Let's have a real celebration. Father, we give you thanks for your goodness. We don't understand it. It is beyond us. (laughs) But we want to dance around in it. We want to celebrate. We want to jump for joy.
Lord, thank you. In the Son, by the Spirit, amen.